Hello, welcome to Secure Talk, your trusted source of information on the latest threats, trends, tools, and technology related to cybersecurity. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Secure Talk. My name is Mark Schreiner, and I will be your host for this episode of Secure Talk. Today, we are going to jump tracks a bit and talk about DeFi, blockchain, possibly a little crypto. Uh, we're going to be talking with the founder of Parallel Finance, uh, Yubo Ran. Uh, Yubo, is, am I pronouncing your last name correctly? Uh, yeah, sure. It's Ran. But Ran, yeah. okay. Uh, Yubo Ran. Uh, Yubo has a very impressive background. He's, uh, he's 25, 26 years old. I went to his LinkedIn profile and uh, he already has 14 different organizations in his experience um, section on LinkedIn. So he's got a ton of experience, mostly in this area. Uh, and we're gonna we're gonna kind of do a deep dive on that. But before we get started, let me just welcome Yubo. Yubo, how are you today? Um, I'm doing great today. Thank you so much for having me here. Awesome. And I, I believe that you're based in the uh, the Bay Area. That's correct. Good. I'm I'm on my way down there shortly. Uh, tell me the weather's nice. It was amazing. Uh, incredibly nice. That's great. I'm looking out my window here and I see snow-capped mountains and I'm really tired of this super wet weather that we've had up here in Seattle. Um, you will, before we uh, talk about the specifics of, of parallel finance and what you're doing, can you kind of give like an overview of, you know, generally what is DeFi? Um, I think that uh, decentralized finance, it's, uh, it's another type of sort of, uh, you know, a financial system where uh, users are able to control their asset through a set of private keys. Um, then the other really big thing is that uh, the application itself runs on top of a self-executed uh, smart contract, uh, which is secured and run by a blockchain system. Uh, contrary to the traditional finance, right, all of the applications are, uh, relatively speaking, immutable. Uh, it follows the code. And then uh, it is, uh, relatively speaking, open source. And so those are the you know, main difference between uh, DeFi and, and CeFi. Okay. Um, so, so let's break it down to like a user experience. And then let's talk about like um, maybe a, a, a company or a platform. As an end user, if I'm using some t sort of DeFi platform or decentralized finance platform, what, what does that look like and what does that mean to me? Yeah, so uh, right now, um, the way to use DeFi is through uh, uh, web applications. Um, so if you happen to own a bunch of uh, cryptocurrency like, you know, stable coins, USDC, or uh, a cryptocurrency like Ether, Bitcoin, whatever you, ha whatever you have, uh, you can go to, uh, you know, Compound, Uniswap, Aave, and go to their website and then connect to wallets uh, through the uh, browser wallets, and then you can start to to you know, earning yields from trading, um, to to staking, all all all, all things like that, um, and then the sort of uh, uh, the current stage of the DeFi is mainly designed for crypto holders, um, and then it, it is designed for crypto holders to increase their yield and then to be more, you know, to enjoy all kinds of financial services. However, in the long term, um, this type of services can expand toward more consumer oriented. Uh, you know, apps that you can do payments, that you can earn yield, and things like that. Well, that that that's actually brings up one of my next questions is, you know, one of the, I guess, detractors from from crypto is the fact that it's basically, you know, 
it's kind of um, a, a speculative bubble, depending on which currency you look at. And there's very, very little is actually being transacted or very few cryptos are actually being used for transactions. What's your take on that? And when will when will we see cryptos being used more um, to transact big business? So I think uh, the previous generations always believed that uh, Bitcoin should be the you know payment centers. But uh, however, it has very big uh, price volatility, so it's pretty hard to do, and it's very expensive to do transactions. Um, the current sort of uh, you know the uh, the current years, a lot of people trying to do stablecoin payments on Ethereum. Uh, which also doesn't work because of the high transaction fee and low TPS uh, or, you know, transaction per second. Uh, Ethereum has this 14 uh, TPS and uh, compared with Visa, which has over, I think, 20, 30,000 TPS at least. Um, so it's uh, it's not that usable in the real life. Um, in the long term, uh, which I think in the next uh, one to three years, uh, most of the, yeah. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> I think that shows shows your young age when you say the long term is one to three years. <laughs> so, <laughs> I think yeah, people exactly. my age would, would get the, the humor there. But go ahead, please. In in the in the, in the next one to three years. Yeah, in the next one to three years, uh, quote unquote long term, um, I think layer two would take a majority of the um, computations and transactions out of the layer one, and layer one would transition toward uh, this sort of role of centric roadmap, which means that. Um, the, the, the basic layer blockchains would uh, do the uh, proof verification. Uh, the computation and tra transactions happen major, uh, mainly on uh, a specific layer two. So the users will be able to transact at, at much higher uh, TPS. I think uh, some of the major technology can provide anywhere between 2000 to 20,000 TPS, mm -hmm. depends on the, layer, the base layer shards. Um, and um, and then um, you know that's also happening one to three years depends on how Ethereum two going to scale up with different shards. Uh, if that happens, um, I think stablecoin plus uh, that is transact on layer two can um, can be likely to be a very uh, strong alternative to um, to 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 payment you know like a network like Visa or Venmo or things like that. It has similar at least like similar you know um, settlement speed. Even mm -hmm. better, um, and it provides a, a much better sort of uh, you know system where it is uh, way more globalized that is not restricted to any uh, geographic like locations and uh, you know jurisdiction. Uh, now, this maturity is this just in the hands of Ethereum, or is this more of a kind of industry consortium that is working towards a common standard? It is an industry consor consortium, and then it is the end game for all of the blockchains. Okay, and um, you know, you mentioned Venmo, for example. Um, explain to me, because you know, Venmo is relatively mature um, compared to what you what you're talking about. What that is going to happen in the next couple of years uh, with the Ethereum platform. Um, but what would be my advantage from an end user, and then and then and then also, let's just say for a small to medium sized business, what would be my advantage to using? Um, this platform versus something like Venmo uh, in, in both situations, as an individual and as a business? Um, I, I'm going to start with the hard side of the business, which is the merchants, small, small, okay. small business, because uh, 
they are the one that have to accept the payments. Uh, otherwise, there's no point of using it as a consumer. For and business, they care about, especially for small size business. Uh, mm -hmm. Small size business, they really care about the uh, the cost of the transaction cost. Those those yeah. those pesky credit card companies um, eating into my profits, right? Yeah, I'm not sure if you guys have experience with like you know dealing with um, I guess um, like. Uh, for example, like movers, taxi drivers, uh, or tattoo stylists, what have you, uh, they all prefer cash. Um, then they really hate this 2%, 3% sort of visa settlement fee. It actually right. matters a lot because their profit margin is very low, especially small restaurants as well. Um, and then I think the other one would be uh, really just how to, you know, how how can we better engage with my customer? I think mm -hmm. crypto provided an amazing way to, uh, to sort of build this community that, um, you know, uh, the customer feel belongs to a specific protocol or products. Uh, and so the rising of the uh, NFTs uh, give us an inspiration of a new kinds of way of engaging uh, customers uh, for, for the small and medium sized business where they uh, essentially, so instead of uh, building a art or collectibles, they can uh, issue a utility based NFT uh, to represent their gift card, to represent their um, coupons or their uh, VIP status to their customers. And then the owners of those utility NFT would be able to join um, some sort of, uh, um, you know, groups like uh, on Discord, in, uh, you know, Reddit or uh, Telegram, what have you, and uh, to better maintain this sort of uh, long-term customer relationship uh, and feel this ownership off, you know, as a already uh, membership versus, uh, you know, like the, the, the you know, small, 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 medium-sized business do the, all the tech themselves. It's complicated. Um, so uh, the, the last one is obviously like earning yield uh, for business um, because crypto has this amazing way of cutting middlemen. Uh, so the yield on most of the you know, sort of planning protocols are actually higher than uh, the uh, the commercial banks. Uh, you know, saving rates way higher, like ten times or sometimes fifty times higher. And uh, and then the, the crazy thing is some of them doesn't have uh, you know credit risk involved. It's uh, all over collateralized loans by other you know like highly uh, you know traded uh, cryptos. And then so on the other hand, for uh, consumers, I think the biggest advantage would be uh, you know obviously like uh, the yield and cashback. Uh, so because it's uh, it's 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 directly connected to DeFi, right? Uh, consumers might be able to earn this native. Uh, I don't know, like anywhere from not financial advice, but I think um, if we can uh, truly onboard a lot of assets, you know, to the lending protocols, maybe people can earn at least like five to ten times, uh, you know, the yield from a commercial bank. That actually. Uh, how? Where? Where is that yield coming from? The yield is coming from cutting the the, the banking uh, uh, industries. Uh, Operation costs. So, so, but then what you're saying is the platform provider would 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 provide a, a either a yield or at least the savings. I mean, the savings itself, you know, I I don't I'm, I'm not going to pay an ATM fee, I'm not going to have monthly banking fees, I'm not going to pay a credit card fee, or my my interest rate's going to come down. I get all that, but on, I mean that's that's a savings. But are you talking that there's also going to be a yield or percentage yeah. earned by the, uh, the the crypto holder? Yeah, a hundred percent. So. Um, um, so, so as a consumer of using this app, um, uh, you know, users are able to sort of lend out their uh, unused cash uh, toward a decentralized uh, DeFi lending protocol. And so, on the other hand, the borrower have to over collateralize their 
uh, sort of that position, right? By providing some kinds of asset, right? It could be a could be Bitcoin, could be Ethereum that is over collateralized by let's say one to three percent, right? There, there will be an efficient engine to liquidate when, whenever the asset price drops, they will liquidate to the cash to maintain the uh, sovereignty of the protocol. So uh, there's no credit involved, right? No credit risk involved. But however, uh, commercial bank is more like a black box where they have this sort of uh, reserved uh, minimum reserved ratio, like five ten percent, and then they can just lend out a bunch of money to 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 you know business where sometimes they are under collateralized. So you, you don't know exactly if that's going to have any issues happen in the long term. Uh, but you know, like sort of uh, DeFi at least is open source. Like anyone can see what is on the balance sheet and what is going on. And uh, because it cut it all of the interest rates in between. So the, so the business model, right, for banks are essentially they're taking the interest rate difference between lenders and borrowers. Uh, for DeFi, there's there's no, no no fees like that, right? Even if there is a fee like that, they will be distributing back to 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 the uh, token holders. So I think the the higher yield come from this, you know, the you know cutting the middleman. You, know, you just you just listed off a, a, a large number, an impressive um, list of benefits, and my mind was blown a couple a couple times. One is the the whole utility NFTs. I haven't heard of that, and I, you know, I thought of F NFTs as typically you know when you take an art, you know, you create a digital artwork and, and and turn it into an FT or something like that. But in terms of and and you know, it, there's there's differing opinions whether that's just a trend that's going to go away but but the way you describe these utility nfts i totally can see that in terms of building a community supporting your local restaurant etc i mean i'm i'd be ready to invest in my favorite places right now you know i mean just uh it's just that that's 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 brilliant um and uh so so thank you for sharing that the other benefits make sense as well but let me ask you how do the platforms if they're not charging the fees etc how do they make money they uh, usually um, they have a token, and then um, there will be a very little fees involved, like you know a few basis points that is transparent, and then the fee would actually go back to the token holders. So that's kind of how it works. And then usually the platform has way lower uh, operation cost or cost of goods sell because um, the blockchain is the execution layer instead of uh, human operation in the bank. Um, the users usually pay transaction fee themselves. Right? Think about this: so the user already paid. So there's a global network of computer who can make sure that your transactions are correct. Um, so that is already sort of uh, you know they getting can... the majority of the business done. The bank itself is a ledger of users' balance that you know you're kind of moving the bits around different mm -hmm. accounts. And then if the blockchain can already secure the computational results with the you know, integrity, then, uh, I mean, users are already paying for that. So that's okay. And and then the, the rest of the cost will be just, you know, the founding teams building it and then maybe their VCs cost or whatever. And I think usually people charge, um, protocol charge either zero or they charge anywhere from a few basis points to maybe max 20. And then the fees will go back to insurance pool or go back to the token holder eventually. So um, I guess, yeah, there may be some fees, but at the same time, usually the protocols would actually give token to users. Mm -hmm. uh, it's like if you use Apple product, you get Apple stock, uh, that actually encouraged the better loyalty uh, involved. So, you know, as an early adopter of the protocol, you got some shares where I'm not sure if it's a good idea to describe this way. A lot of companies want to present themselves as the uh, commodity. So it's like you're getting a uh, like an um, 
like a commodity from that company that represents some levels of uh, you know governance, right? And then some levels of economics, right? And sure. so, yeah, even if they charge some money, eventually go back to benefit the user. Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know if, if that's the right word either, but like um, up here we have REI co-op, right? And if you shop at REI, then you get credit at the end of the year for the, your purchase that you made, which makes you want to go back and spend more money. And yeah, anyway, um, hey, I, I one little comment and then... Um, and then a question, and then I want to dig deeper into um, into to to parallel finance. But uh, I'm 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 not a big fan of traditional finance. And you you use the expression CFI. Um, I'm assuming that refers to some type of what centralized finance or what what is CFI? Yeah, centralized finance. Centralized finance. Okay. So, um, and I, I just a, a recent story. I had um, a retirement account, a 401k. Um, that um, I, you know, had been sitting for a while, and I wanted to get that money and t- enroll it into uh, a rollover IRA. So the process goes like this: um, you know, you fill out paperwork and you send it in, and it takes almost two months for them to cut you a check and send it to you. Okay, or to me, it did. And this is from one of the largest 401k companies in, in, in providers in the U.S. So I'm like, so they shut, they, 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 they sold all my um, holdings in the 401k, like within a week and the money just disappears. It's not showing up on my, you know, in my account. And it took me two months to get the money uh, back into a, So, so I'm like, where is that money? You know, I mean, somebody's making money from that money and there's no visibility at all. You call a, you call a 1-800 number and you get, um, you get connected with a call center in Cebu in the Philippines. And, uh, and it was just like, like, you know, there's so many ways that, um, traditional or centralized finance is hugely inefficient, but for so long we haven't had options. And, you know, what you're talking about is, is, is going to put pressure Hopefully on on a lot of areas and eventually on on scenarios like that I just described. Okay, I'm gonna stand, get off my soapbox right now and then and, and come back to um, what what you're doing. Um, before we d- jump into the specifics of parallel, I, I noticed that most DeFi they're 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 building upon the Ethereum platform. Um, in fact, I went to the uh, recently I looked at the DeFi Pulse. I don't know if you're familiar with that site. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it, are there just before we move forward? Are there any other competing platforms with Ethereum, or is it pretty much gonna be Ethereum? Um, I think that uh, um, we can use some sort of a metaphor to think about, you know, sort of sort of this blockchain war. war. Um, each blockchain sort of provide a um, kind of a, a, like a uh, a geolocation, like a country. And then um, there are like banks inside of the country, right? So you can build a bank for a specific country, but you know there are other countries that users are interested to move, and then they like different cultures, they like different type of uh, security system, and different type of speed of the you know the city move or the the nation move. Um, so there are a couple, I think. Um, so if you look at a market cap, it would be you know ranking basically from like Solana, which is like I think twenty. Oh, sorry, uh, Binance Smart Chain, you know. Right after Ethereum, that's like pretty much like 20% of Ethereum market cap. And then Solana, which is like likely around 10 to 12% of Ethereum market cap. And then Terra, Polkadot, Avalanche, Polygon, and a few others. And then, um, you know, if you look at Defend Lana, um, um, and it's ranked by chain, I think um, sort of obviously Ethereum take over 
more than 65% uh, of the TVL market shares. TVL stands for total value lock, which is the total dollar value of asset that is locked up into a, a contract, right, on specific chains. Uh, I think, yeah, there are a lot of competitions right there. Um, different uh, chain provide a different trade-off between essentially security decentralization and um, and the scalability. And I think users have this own uh, preference so that uh, you can see different things out there. Well, and one more question on that on that front. In other industries, typically, you know, in the beginning, you'll have um, a, a you know very fragmented market, and then you get some kind of consolidation and an acquisition process. Is that same thing possible with competing platforms in DeFi, or or the the platforms so disparate that there's no way it's going to be either this or that? Yeah, I totally think so. My uh, observations of uh, of of uh, basically human history is uh, you can describe it like into a one sort of sentence, which is uh, we are always transition between uh, decentralization to centralization and back to decentralization. If you look at a technology adoption curve uh, at the beginning, uh, when everyone is like uh, when the technology is so new, where innovators and uh, early adopters are using them. Usually the markets are super decentralized. There are, you know, hundreds, dozens of hundreds of thousands of, you know, companies out there building applications. If you look at dot-com, you know, you know, before dot-com bubble, basically it's thousands of everyone's like dot-com company, everyone's like millionaire right there. Um, and then as the, uh, the, the adoption curve go to the uh, early majority stage, uh, the winners would have much better uh, sort of advantage, uh, especially given the fact that there will be a network effects. So they would have better sort of capital user base and they start to, uh, you know, outcompete with other uh, smaller players. And then they start to eat, eat out uh, every other people. So it started consolidating. And then uh, once we go to this sort of late majority adoption curve, the uh, most of the people are gonna use this technology and this technology is just gonna stop innovating. Um, and then it's, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of achieving its uh, uh, potentials almost. Um, and then so, uh, at that time, usually we'll see like five-ish uh, big players out there that handles almost uh, every aspect of a specific tech uh, sector, and then um, and then this you know uh, late majority, and then you know just basically the the rest a uh, few percent of people gonna gonna use the, this this new tech. Uh, and what happened is that you know that takes uh, ten years, twenty years, or maybe thirty years, and then there's there will be a new tech that will build on top of it, and that will be you know taking taking care of another sort of big tech revolution. And so the same process would happen again. Blockchain uh, specifically is at its uh, early adopter space where we can see like maybe hundreds of millions of users, max, maybe truly DeFi users. I think it's less than uh, 50 million users or maybe just 20 million users out there. Um, we see like uh, thousands of uh, DeFi companies. Everything is, everyone is building a DAO, everyone can launch a token. It won't, it won't be the case after uh, two years in the long term <laughs> again. Um, all of the companies will consolidate. Uh, uh, Polygon recently acquired uh, Mir for $400 million. They acquired uh, Hermes for 300 something million dollars or $400 million. Uh, Rory Capital merged with uh, Faye. And then uh, uh, like Avi starts to build like social network on, on, you know, on Ethereum and uh, you know, building Avi V3 that is trying to take over the L2 space. And so it's very clear that I think uh, uh, the 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 bigger winners can come uh, in the next three years ish I think um, eventually maybe I, I'll say like five fish pretty big players 
Um, and then, yeah. Okay, though that totally makes sense. So, so with all these different, different a variety of platforms, but also um, DeFi providers, and uh, why, you know, what was the impetus for you to found Parallel Finance? Um, well, we wanted to sort of uh, bring DeFi to a billion people. Um, like now, is that all? A billion people. people. <laughs> a billion people. A billion people as a small goal to get started. Um, and I think uh, we want to get it now, like as soon as we can, uh, versus uh, you know waiting for someone else to build. Mm -hmm. And I still think that uh, um, the the opportunity here is that um, most of the uh, transactions and users will move to the second layer network, especially layer two and layer three. Uh, yes, also like in the next two, one to three years, um, there aren't much of uh, good DeFi applications out there in this super, uh, you know, sort of blue ocean. And I think that would be a really big, you know, space for us to pursue. And then uh, this this layer of network truly provides this uh, scalability and low cost, which I think can bring billion people to use. So uh, we're kind of thinking that we want to position ourselves to be this application layer versus infrastructure layer. And then uh, we wanted to build on any platform that has tractions and have a lot of user base. And then we kind of building this whole suite of products instead of one. Usually a company build one, we, we build a combination of, uh, of the, the basic primitive protocols, such as like uh, lending protocols, staking protocols, trading, and all things like that. So those are like major demand, the big demands for, for users. And, so uh, so are, are you, you going to be uh, providing services directly to users or are you going to, um, you're building these, for lack of a better word, modules or protocols and then licensing them to other organizations to deal with consumers or businesses? We want to build both. Uh, okay. We really like these uh, sort of Apple approach. It's end-to-end -end control. Um, I, I also think that the second model works is more like a Microsoft approach where you build like maybe software and you license out for you know all the hardware makers. Either one works. It's uh, you have to choose a path and go really deep into it. Okay. Okay. So um, where are you at right now in, in in terms of going to market with any of your your app apps or your mm -hmm. your suite of services? Yeah. So we are, uh, we are currently having around uh, 155,000 users, and then uh, we have around $600 million uh, capital using our platform. And uh, we are the number one uh, DeFi provider in the Polkadot space. And then uh, we, uh, you know, compare with the, the goal of bringing DeFi to a billion people, we still need a, a basically 10,000 times our user base and uh, potentially 10,000 times the uh, asset you know the uh, the tbl as well uh, it's a small step um, and then we plan to start to build applications especially DeFi's, on uh, layer twos um, um, and, and then like prepare a bit earlier on eth um, but we also like looking forward to a bunch of other you know alternative uh, sort of layer ones um, okay yeah. so l before you go too far um, first off could you tell me explain what the polka dot quote unquote space is um, and then, and then let's go back to those 155,000 users that you have. What are they actually doing? So Polkadot is a, uh, is a layer zero, um, where people can build a layer ones, um, on top of uh, Polkadot. It's a framework of building uh, a blockchain and, um, 
it, it is currently uh, a top 10 coins globally, and then it has a uh, uh, pretty amazing founders background. So the former co-founder and, and CTO of Ethereum built uh, Polkadot, and then uh, it has amazing technology, uh, you know, uh, uh, sort of stack that it provides. And mm -hmm. um, so, so it's essentially, it's also similar to the smart contract platform, but it's one level deeper. Um, for the second question, the current 155,000, well, maybe right now it's like 165,000 users, they are essentially doing something called uh, auction loan, uh, which is uh, one aspect of the core DeFi protocols that we offer, um, where user can uh, sort of uh, stake their dots for over two years in exchange for uh, some, uh, you know, the participation of a specific pair chance, uh, you know, token rights. And then um, we also provide the derivative toward this locked uh, dots so that they can do trade, borrow, lending, and all things like that, and leverage as well. So yeah, um, we also estimate that the uh, numbers of users and then the tractions will grow, um, you know, double or triple once we launch the uh, core uh, set of uh, other set of uh, protocols on, on Polkadot, which is essentially the combinations of lending protocol plus the trading protocol, plus another staking protocol, all combined. Um, so that would be um, a big thing to learn for this year for us. Excellent. And uh, apologies, but I, I, I'm i not as well-versed on, on crypto blockchain or any of this, not even near as well-versed as, as you are. And I think some some people in our audience probably are, are similar to me. Explain the you know in layman's terms, um, you know what these hundred fifty five thousand people are. You know what are they doing? Like how do they how do they sign up for um, the the platform and how do they actually use it? Yeah, it's super simple. They just need to download the wallets, uh, Polkadot.js, and uh, if they have some dots, um, then they can start to connect their wallet on their web app and they can start to use. Um, I think it's uh, the app is very straightforward and. Uh, so they can they, they basically can they can put their polka dot coins is that what mm -hmm. i call it yeah into the wall your wallet um to the parallel finance wallet but which is actually their wallet right um and mm -hmm. then then they can use it to to tr transact correct yes okay gotcha Open okay things. yeah and w why your wallet or the parallel finance wallet versus somebody some other wallet um, so wallet technically just a uh, you know a uh, introduction middle layer between our app. Uh, we do not own the wallets. Uh, anyone can build any kinds of wallets open source. Mm -hmm. um, the app that we built is this uh, you know backend protocol where people can do um, like borrow and lending, which is essentially yeah, okay. this autonomous like driving banks mm -hmm. plus like you know autonomous driving robot advisory plus like this. Uh, autonomous driving uh, NASDAQ kind of thing, so. Okay, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna be your 150,001 um, registered user after we get off this call. I'm, I'm curious okay. how, how it looks. Um, let me ask you how, I mean, how do you deal with security? Uh, because it's gotta be really important both from the, you know, the company point of view, but also from the platform point of view. Um, and you know, are, are is is this like one of your top five concerns? Is it your number one concern? You know, where is it at on your radar? Uh, security is my number zero concern. Okay. It's uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's the it's the one before zeros. Um, okay. 
So, so basically, without a security, there there isn't anything valuable to the platform. And uh, um, typically, I think five to ten percent asset have been hacked before uh, in any DeFi protocols. I think there are around two hundred billion worth of dollars that is using uh, DeFi in total, including derivatives. And then I think I don't know, like the current data, maybe at least like over billions of dollars has been hacked, or a couple billion dollars hacked. So I think few percent has been hacked. Uh, eventually, this number is going to go down. Uh, at the beginning of the industry, I think it will be remain like five to ten percent as the industry standard, like kind of, kind of the average data. Um, uh, we try to try to make sure that it's going to be zero on our platform. Um, but you know, I wanted to take a non-deterministic approach. You have to like try the best, and also we hired the most expensive and the best like world-class uh, security auditors, hackers to sort of uh, try to break the system. And then you know, we are constantly improving on it. So yeah. Okay. And does does your app have some type of authenticator or second-factor authentication baked into it, or? Um, no. Um, so the the thing we hear is that. Different than Web2, uh, Web3 um, allows users to uh, sort of directly get access to their asset if you have the private key. So uh, usually Web2 company, they um, help you store your uh, um, like your private key or your uh, accounts uh, or mm-hmm. password that they save for you. We do not, so the user actually control those stuff. And as long as they have valid signature, then they can... Uh, do things they want. And in terms of security for DeFi, it's usually meaning that the security from a smart contract, there's any box or anything that can be uh, sort of exploited by any hackers. So even without a user losing any private keys, some funds might be hacked. So we're trying to prevent that thing from happening. But if the user lose their key themselves, um, right now, it's, uh, it's impossible to recover. However, uh, we're uh, sort of... Um, you know, sort of thinking and deploying some, you know, solutions for something called social recovery, where if you lose your private key, um, don't worry, you can have like three to five, you know, institutions or friends, whoever that you trusted, that can help you recover. And, uh, you know, so you can get access, get access back to their asset again, one more time. And I think that's critical for a billion people to use. Um, so, yeah. Totally. And I think that's one of the classic horror stories of crypto is people who've, you know, thrown away the hard drive or somehow lost their, 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 uh, their keys, um, you know, uh, but if you can solve that or if somebody, if the industry can solve that problem, I think that's one of the, the last remaining barriers or concerns. Um, you t- tell us a little bit more about the, um, you know, the, the evolution of your business, where you're at right now in terms of, uh, you know, funding, um, road to profitability, um, if that's even important to you at this point. And, um, and then what's, what's, what's coming, you know, in the second half or, you know, later in 2022 for you? Um, so I think profitability will be, um, uh, will be, uh, like, a like a P3, P4, <laughs> um, not super important. I think, uh, getting, Users happy is the most important thing, and getting their funds secure and earning yield is important. Um, and Q3, Q4 will be the time that we were for sure like spending toward um, layer twos, and then provide all whole suite of whole suite of uh, DeFi protocols out there. And then um, also we'll be uh, sort of expanding on DAO ecosystem as well. 
Um, and then after around uh, three years later, we will start to tap into the uh, consumer finance space, where it's just more like directly targeted to uh, consumer finance. That will be the uh, sort of uh, three to seven years plan. Uh, one to three years will be mainly on DOTs plus you know, L2s or alternative L1 will be the, the main like markets that we're looking after. Excellent. Well, looks like an exciting roadmap. What um, What is your biggest challenge right now? Um, I think it would be something related to um, um, like, I think, uh, you know, getting scaled the team is definitely a big challenge for me. Uh, we currently have around 52 people um, and uh, with the uh, vision that we have, it probably requires us, I mean, eventually within 10 years, at least like 10 times the size or 20 times the size. Uh, or even bigger than that. I do not have a specific number, but I think it will be a challenge for me. Um, um, uh, however, that's not rocket science. It's solvable. Sure. Um, I mean, there's a shortage of engineers uh, across, I'm talking about software engineers, of course, and developers across so many different industries right now. Um, I actually spent five years in Japan, and if you think the shortages are bad here, try going to Japan. Um, they're just, it's, uh, I was involved with some some large outsourcing projects where Japanese companies were having to offshore so much development just because you can't find uh, talent in Japan. Um, and there's a huge geo arbitrage opportunity there as well because you know the hourly rate in Japan would be double what it is here. Um, and then if you can offshore it to someplace, um, obviously India is one of the obvious choices, but um, there's great, great geo arbitrage opportunities, but then you have communication cultural issues as well. But anyway, um, yeah, scaling, scaling uh, with people right now is, is a huge challenge. Uh, you know, you, you've shared a lot of information and I'm, I'm sure we've just scratched the surface of, of, of what you're, you know, what you know about, about this space. Let me ask you, where do you go to to kind of keep abreast and understand what's you know what's coming down the uh, the road for this whole space? I think it comes down to one talk to the uh, the the industry sort of leader in this space um, to pick their brain and share ideas. Um, and and second, I think uh, you have to think about where does those information store app right where can you get it uh, the other one would be uh, i think uh through like some really awesome papers um mm -hmm. or like just purely like doing research on different projects um and then um, i would say that uh, there are 100 people in this space like in the DeFi space or like 50 people that are uh, very very uh, promising um and i think that uh if you can follow them on they're all of the social platforms and uh, um, or, you know, it's better to just to chat with them in person. And I think you have like all of the latest, um, you know, condensed and processed uh, sort of insights into the space. And at the same time, um, there are a lot of uh, really, as I said, like, a lot of really good paper out there. So, and, and is there, I mean, I, I, do you have a preferred platform for, for following people? Is it Twitter or another platform? Um, it depends on that specific person. Some, I think Twitter, yeah, and YouTube, um, and then see Telegram. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah. Or, or honestly, just go to events and chat with them. It'd be helpful. Cool. Um, by the way, do you, do you watch the uh, the All In podcast? Are you familiar with that? All In. 
uh, the, the All In podcast. Yeah, I, it's I heard about it. it yeah, it, yeah, it's uh, in, over the last year has become one of the top uh, podcasts globally, and it's it's basically for three Silicon Valley Silicon Valley uh, billionaires and one you know oh, oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jake Howe's worth that. a couple hundred million, and um, it, it's it's interesting. They they talk. And they talk about everything that's going on in Silicon Valley. They talk about politics and a bunch of other things. Um, and um, but they do they do cover crypto and and DeFi, NFTs, etc. Definitely not a deep dive, but they have some qu quite high level um, kind of opinions. So it, it might be worth you kind of just pulling up their episodes where they they do like a year end predictions and things like that. And uh, it's interesting. Um, so uh, do you aside from this podcast, <laughs> that was a joke. Um, do, do you, are there any podcasts that you, that you follow or you prefer for, for, um, the, the, uh, DeFi space? Uh, DeFi space. I, if you look at, um, podcasts, I think, uh, see, I think Bankless is pretty cool. Bankcast? Bankless. And Bankless. Most, both of them are pretty cool. Okay. I'm I'm gonna check it out, and I I have no I no problem at all promoting. It's not even competition. It's just promoting other podcasts because I think it's all about sharing information. Um, last couple questions. Yeah, actually, you know, it's interesting because I think you're originally from China. Uh, you were born in Beijing. Uh, you're yep. living in the Silicon Valley right now, and right now we have this. Actually, isn't it like New Year, Lunar New Year, Spring Festival right now for for China? Um, correct. Poss possibly. Okay. So, uh, but there's this inter interesting dynamic right now between the U S and China. Um, and, and there's also, you know, kind of a different approach that China is taking a different approach in terms of, you know, how it's going to manage or, uh, kind of monitor crypto and, um, DeFi and blockchain. Does that, is that on your radar at all? Um, or you, or do you, do you focus on like the U S ecosystem only or Western ecosystem, or do you, do you take a global p uh, look at things or, you know, w what is your take on that? Um, I started to build uh, FinTech stuff like back in um, when I was in high school in 2014 ish mm -hmm. uh, in China. And that's like, see clearly, actually I witnessed the, uh, the transition from cash to cashless payments, mm -hmm. like basically from Visa cash directly to like Alipay, WeChat Pay. Mm -hmm. um, so the, uh, I think specifically the Eastern culture, especially in China has always been very, um, uh, top-down approach. Um, mm -hmm. if the, uh, you know, if the top-down decided that, uh, we wanted to go cashless and then it would support all you know, everything. And then the transition can happen within months or even within like two to three months. I still remember how fast it happens. It just like almost, I think maybe like two, three months and suddenly everyone stopped using cars and stopped using cash and everyone started to like scan QR code. That's how fast it can be like the whole, like, you know, whole country. This is like, blow my mind at that time. And, um, uh, blockchain on the other hand, I think it's not the favorite baby for, uh, you know, for, for probably for Chinese government, I think, um, it is very hard to be um, because of the currency control and mm -hmm. some other sort of, uh, you know, ideologies difference differences here. Um, however, I do see that they are going to publish 
actually they had already pushed uh, the CBDC out of uh, a couple cities in southern China. Uh, it's been running really smooth uh, on, on your phone. You can just pay each other instantly fast. And uh, um, I think in China, the blockchain DeFi landscape is not probably not going to call DeFi. It's going to call uh, like CE DeFi, like, okay. like C DeFi, like a centralized mm -hmm. DeFi. Mm -hmm or, you know, more like a CCP DeFi, mm -hmm. where um, it's uh, customized, right? It's, sure. Um, yeah, it'd have to be like this way. And then I think um, people, that, we have to think about this, people really care about decentralization. Like, it, is that really the, the most concern? Or if it's not, then, you know, like, people are kind of okay with like, even if there's a central point of uh, control, um, I, I, I think if the users are fine and, I think, yeah, it's, it's probably going to be very different. Landscape. Yeah, I, I might agree with you that I, I actually users anywhere, they just want better service, few, lower fees, safer yeah. transactions, right? Yeah. I mean, and what you call it and what's really going on behind the scenes. I don't know if it, I'm sure there's some ideologues that, that really care, but for, for your typical <laughs> consumer, um, I think you're right. And and especially in China. I mean, it's it's interesting. I, I um lived in Asia off and on for about 20 years and I've been doing business in China for most for most of that time. Mm. Never lived there, lived in Hong Kong, Taiwan, so on. Um, and when I would go to China and, you know, from the outside looking in, you would say, oh, well, there's the great firewall and people are, people are, um, you know, controlled by the government and, you know, they're, they're, I, sometimes the word oppressed would come up and things like that. But when you go there, um, I, I don't get that feeling. I think that people like anywhere, you know, sometimes they, they resent what their government does. But for the most part, people just move on and they're like, hey, man, things are getting better in China. They're way better now than they've ever been in terms. Of, well, I would say ever, but yeah, probably ever. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And uh, and yeah, I mean, is it perfect? No, but for for your average person, at least in the, and I was always on the, you know, the, the, the big coastal cities for your average person, in the big coastal cities, people were pretty darn optimistic and um, you know, seemed to be OK. And the amount of innovation that you know you, you come up with a if you if you look at things like uh, WeChat um, the innovation on that platform and all the in in, in, the, uh, in the you mentioned Alipay for example and Alibaba's platforms and how many different directions it's gone is is really amazing. Yeah, it's pretty impressive, and sometimes I even question myself: Would China need DeFi at all? Because people use WeChat Pay and Alipay, it has like you can earn yield easily. You can pay people with almost like instant payments, right? It's it's not like Visa card, and I'm I'm sure that the fee between you know like merchants and, and consumers are extremely low, and um, you know from security standpoint, it should be pretty safe. Um, and then uh, it also has like a, a bunch of functionality where you can use WeChat Pay to pay utilities, pay. Uh, almost everything. Um, Isn't that that's amazing? Even, yeah, even <laughs> I remember it was a few or, years ago when they announced that like uh, people were doing uh, their 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 Lunar New Year or Spring Festival, whatever you call it these days, um, their gifts to yeah. their friends via via I think it was AliPay or maybe it was WeChat. I don't remember, yeah. but it's just like <laughs> it's so yeah. cool, you know? Yeah, yeah. The airdrop money, like China has been airdrop money to like users like uh, since like maybe 2014, 2015. When we watch the uh, the show every year, the, the you know Lunar New Year shows, and mm -hmm. they literally like send like hundreds of millions of dollars to 
to users directly to uh, like the lucky users who somehow participate. And uh, they, they've been doing airdrop for a while. I, I feel like all of the DeFi stuff, at least from, you know, like ideology is, is different, but then the consumer and consumer benefits are, have had already achieved. So I, I kind of question myself, okay, if uh, CBDC is going to push out and then, um, and then if they have all of the functionalities above, then, you know, would we still need it? Like, would China still need a DeFi anymore? Mm, and then if it needed it, then the question is if it's going to happen or not, right? Maybe the first question is if it's needed or not. <laughs> right. I feel like the margin ben, ben, marginal benefit is very low. It's mm -hmm. like China has already been on the layer two. <laughs> it's just mm -hmm. WeChat layer two or Alipay layer two. Um, and then maybe here we're still sort of uh, directly interacting with Visa and banks, which is kind of, you know, very old. Um, so... Yeah. And uh, very annoying. <laughs> Dude, I mean, the credit card companies, I did my last little rant, you know, I, I recently signed up for a new credit card. I'm in a store and they're like, oh, if you, you know, if you get our credit card, we'll take, I forget what it was, 20% off my purchase or something. And it was a sizable purchase. So I was like, yeah, give me the card. Um, and then they didn't send the statement. And, and so my first payment was late. And if, what did they do? They ding me a late charge. So of course I canceled the card, but it's just kind of like, come on people, man, <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, there's gotta be a better way. Yeah. That's crazy. I I've been losing my credit card for I, in the last few years, every year I, you know, accidentally lose one card. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, just pain in the ass. Sure. It's not secure. It's right. basically means that your private key is, uh, is written on, on your wallets, right? People can read it they can steal money. It's crazy. Exactly. And and you don't even have to lose your card you, with the scanning technology. You know, I mean, you, every time you put your card into an ATM or uh, when you're buying gas, whatever, if they've got a scanner in there, they can get your, well, yeah. the chips, the chips supposedly works away around that. But yeah. anyway, hey, um, Yubo, I've really enjoyed this conversation. This has gone uh, almost double um, the length of our typical episode. And, 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 you know, we've covered a lot of ground and I'm sure we could go a lot um, farther, but I really appreciate you taking time. Um, I'm, um, I'm going to be downloading your, your app. If it's, if I can figure out how to do that, which should, should be able to do and, uh, wish you and your team, uh, an amazing 2022. Yeah. Thank you so much. Hello, welcome to Secure Talk, your trusted source of information on the latest threats, trends, tools, and technology related to cybersecurity and compliance.